0: This morning, I wanted to do a wee introduction. We've got a guest speaker here at The Well. I'd like to introduce Reverend Joey Millington. Reverend. Reverend. The Reverend. Welcome, Joey. So Joey and his wife, Lauren, are down from Auckland. Lauren's up the front here. So Joey serves as the assistant pastor of East City Wesleyan Church in Auckland, and he also serves alongside Clint at Laidlaw College where joey uh, is in charge of interns as an intern administrator so joey's going to bring an incredible word this morning i'd love to just yeah would you love would you join me in praying for him as he brings the word for us this morning heavenly father good and gracious god Lord God, we thank you that we at the well here are not just a church doing life on their own, but we are part of a wider body, your body, Lord Jesus. And I thank you that we get to experience that this morning through Joey bringing a word to us. Lord, may our hearts, may our ears be open to what your spirit is wanting to say to us. May you give courage to Joey to speak the word that is on his heart from you trusting that you are going to work amongst us in your name Lord Jesus, Amen Amen, thanks David
1: yes, I'm Joey and I'm very excited to be here today, so uh, I'll give you a little bit more information about who I am you might be able to tell from how I'm talking that I am not from here I am from the east coast of Canada I don't sound like I should because my accent's been dulled down a little bit thank you very much for that basically through hanging out with you guys too much (laughs) But i am very excited to be here today i'm not sure if it's the coffee talking or genuine excitement i'm not a normal coffee drinker um so i told david today i was like you know what i think today's a double coffee day so we'll see what happens in the second service but you get the first service all right but today we're going to talk about the bible Duh. okay yeah clearly we're gonna talk about the bible as church but what i want to do today is i want to help us see the bible through a particular lens you ever Purchase those like cool sunglasses, Sunnies that have like tints on them, and then you can like see different colors a bit better and different highlights come out. Well, the story of the Bible is kind of like that. When we read the Bible, we can actually put different lenses on, almost like if you're at the eye doctor or something, and you see things differently, and it highlights a different aspect of the story of the Bible. So what I want to do today is I want to help us understand the story of the Bible through the lens of adam and christ and we're going to look specifically at the middle portion of the book of romans romans 5 12 through 21 so we're going to get to it soon but if you have your bible or like an app or something and you want to bring it up i would encourage you to do so romans five twelve through 21 but you might notice the image up here joey why is there this adam and then like a backwards jesus and like a backwards almost like the real thing well What's fascinating is that there's, there's portions of the Old Testament, people, events, figures, that actually point towards Jesus, where they find their fulfillment in who Jesus actually is. And Adam is just like that. So with the mountain, as you can see in the image, the mountain is reflected onto the water. So the water, reflection of the mountain, is not the mountain itself, but it points to the actual thing, the mountain. And there are so many different themes that come up in Scripture. Where we have Adam, we're going to talk about today. We have Temple. We have Moses. We have Israel. We have David. We have Solomon. We have exile. We have all these different themes, events, and moments. We have Exodus. We have all these different things going on. And they're just a reflection of the real thing of Jesus. All right? So what we're going to do today is we're going to put on our Adam glasses for a moment. And we're going to see Scripture through that lens. So, the book of Romans. The book of Romans is a very intense book. I'm not sure, Pastor David, have you gone through the book of Romans in a study before? Okay, cool. So I'm going to give a little bit of a background here, alright? So the book of Romans is like the Apostle Paul's big tome, theological tome. Basically, Paul was a Pharisee back in the day. These people who, who are incredibly zealous for the law of God, for the God of Israel, And they wanted to make sure they did what Jewish people were supposed to do at the time so that they could live within the promises of God. And they wanted everyone else to do this too. But what happened to Paul was after Jesus' resurrection, Paul was still a Pharisee for a little while. He didn't believe that this whole Jesus thing was really important. Actually, he saw it as a really dangerous thing for Judaism at the time. He saw this Jesus sect of people who claimed that jesus was the old testament messiah who came to fulfill the old testament he saw them as actually in opposition to what god really wanted to do and he was so zealous in fact that he thought that him persecuting christians going after them and actually you know putting them in prison or at some instances putting them in the way of opposition to where they died he thought he was doing the will of god so he's a zealous guy But then all of a sudden, on the way to Damascus from Jerusalem, heading north, he meets the resurrected Jesus, knocks him off a horse, he's blinded, and he instantly knows. In that moment, when Jesus talks to him, and says, Paul, Paul, or Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And in that moment, Paul realized, oh my goodness, I've completely missed the plot. This Jesus, because of his resurrection is who he says he is and in that moment he went along was still blind got baptized could see again and then was kind of disciple with some christians and he ended up being incredibly zealous for the gospel and for jesus it was a radical transformation and he saw jesus as the fulfillment of the old testament all these different events and figures and things that i listed he saw the completion their completion in jesus all right so we're tracking well so far cool what paul thought his job was, was to go, and it was, I'm not. he wasn't delusional. He knew his job was to go to the Gentiles. This word Gentile means basically anybody who's not an ethnic Jew. And to go to the Gentiles and to actually fulfill this blessing that God had already, in the Old Testament, had wanted for a very long time, which is to bless the nations through his son, Jesus. So Paul saw this in himself and was like, you know what? My call is to go... Out into Judea, into Samaria, and into the ends of the earth. And he has multiple journeys where he goes and plants multiple churches. But the book of Romans is interesting because he did not plant that church. What he did was he focused a little bit uh, in Greece and modern-day Turkey, but he hadn't gotten all the way over to Italy at the moment and into Rome. But he wanted to desperately because he knew that his call was to go all the way to Spain. He wanted to go... In, the, in that time perception of the world to go to the ends of the earth, which is, you know, there's an ocean over there. So in his mind, he's doing what God wants him to do, to go to the end of the water, end of the land, and preach the gospel. So he needed to write this book to the Romans. And he wanted to make sure that this Roman church knew what was going on when it came to the gospel. He, didn't, he wasn't super familiar with them, but he's like, I need them as like a launching pad to go continue my mission. So I need this church desperately to help partner with me to continue in the good news of spreading the gospel. So this is what we see. In Romans chapter 1 through Romans chapter 9, we see this this massive argument. He's actually stating a case of what the gospel is. And our passage today is smack dab in the middle. Think of it like a seesaw or a teeter-totter or however you call it here. And our passage today is like a pivot point. It's like everything that came before hinges on that, our passage today, and everything that happens after is launched from our passage. He saw this passage as incredibly important for his theology because in the first four chapters, what Paul says is that this guy Abraham in the Old Testament, well, he's actually no different to you and me. He actually expressed faith and trust in God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness because he trusted God he is now in right standing with god and the same thing is with you and i he's talking to a jewish audience he's saying the same thing is with us we are the people who have faith and trust in jesus and because of that god sees us differently because we have placed our trust in him there's no difference between the old and the new testament that's what paul's trying to say and then he broadens it a bit he wants this jewish religion This Jewish movement to include the whole world so who does he bring into the conversation he brings this person Adam into the conversation this person who had a catalytic effect on every single person in the entire world to draw us all in to this story you and I and then we see in chapter 6 7 8 and 9 is this working out of what does it actually mean to be in Christ to be a part of Christ And we learn about the Holy Spirit a lot. So that's a little bit about what we're getting into in this passage today. So what is this salvation story? What is my main point? I'm a simple preacher, all right? I I don't try and get too complicated. I got one point. Here we go. What is it? Jesus invites you into a new family and reality. If I could summarize the passage you've turned to, Romans five twelve 12-21, it is that. Jesus invites us into a new family. And I put in brackets, reality, because it is completely different to the family we used to be a part of. Completely different. Completely new set of rules. So let's read the passage. So my allergies are ridiculous today so thank you Christchurch. <laughs> all right let's read the passage all right here we go it's on the screen if you don't have it in front of you therefore just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin and so death spread to all men all people because all sinned. all right incomplete sentence good start For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Might underline that one for later. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift By the grace of that one man person, just put the inclusive in there, Jesus Christ abounded for the many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses uh, brought justification. For if because of one person's trespass, death reigned through that one man much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all people, so one act of righteousness leads to justification for all people. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in, to increase the trespass, but their sin increased, where sin increased. Grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We can breathe there. That's a pretty dense passage, isn't it? Man, that's thick. Good thing we're going to explain it today. So, the beginning of the argument starts like this. I believe it's this next slide. Basically through this one person, through Adam, this catalytic moment happened in human history where you and I and all the people before us, as a result, have this thing called sin rooted in our hearts. And as a result of sin, death. Newsflash, we all die. That is something that's been common across all of human history. We can have many conversations about you know who Adam is and was just Adam, were there multiple people at the time in Genesis chapter two and three. We're going to push those to the side because it doesn't really matter. God seems to be really intent upon using one person. It's, it's fascinating, one person to actually have universal impact in the entire world. I don't know why it was Adam. Why was it Adam? Why was it him who actually made the mistake? And it impacts you and me. What's going on there? I don't have an answer to that. I just know in the situation we're in right now, empirically speaking, you and I can see that there is evil, sin, and death in the world. But thanks be to God because through the one man, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, through the one man, Jesus, you and I can move and push away that old life that old family alliance and we are now adopted into a new family this is not an exclusive invitation it is inclusive every single person is invited into this for those who trust in jesus that's the contrast there but what's interesting is with adam Adam, because of what he did, is sent humanity on this downward spiral, downward spiral of sin and death. So the first 11 chapters of Genesis, they're very interesting. We see this downward spiral of what it looks like for people to define good and evil on their own terms. So they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They basically, what they did was they rejected God as king in that moment. And they say, you know what? I'm going to redefine what is good in my own eyes, as opposed to what is good in my own in God's eyes, it's a, it's a manipulation of what the good actually is. And we see that played out all the way to this moment of the Tower of Babel, where God casts people away because they're so conspiring together with their own definition of good. And they're completely against God. But there's something really fascinating, like I said earlier. The Bible likes to focus on individuals who move the story forward. And what we see very quickly on after uh, Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, is that there was like this prophetic moment where God said about Eve, there, you're going to have an offspring, and after your offspring, I'm going to make things right. That's a massive paraphrase. We can't get into the Hebrew at the moment, all right? But that's what's going to happen. There's going to be this one person who is going to come and make things right. All right. All right. So we read a little bit on in the story, and we see, okay, so we've got Noah. There's this whole, like, recreation moment with Noah where there's this flood. It's like the the waters above and the waters below come and collapse in on each other, kind of like Genesis chapter 1, which is really interesting. And God chooses Noah to be, like, this new Adam character. And we're like, okay, cool, reset button. It's fixed. Not quite, because there's this weird episode where he gets drunk in a tent, and he's naked. And it's like, well, what the heck happened there? And his sons come in, and they are like oh he's naked and we are ashamed and as a reader of the bible you're like oh i know a moment in the garden of eden with adam and eve who were saw each other naked and were ashamed and so that triggers to the reader oh the same problem they had isn't actually solved it's just continue to be perpetuated so as a reader you're like so who's the next person well we see abraham after this tower of babel story where really israelite history begins and god chooses abraham not because of anything he's done, he chose him and said "I'm going to bless you, bless your family uh, you're going to have so many descendants, but I'm going to bless you and your family to be a blessing to the nations I'm going to launch something in you to be a blessing to the whole world, pointing back to making things right once again okay and then we move forward in the story and we get somehow get enslaved in Egypt the Israelites do and Then there's this character Moses, this one individual again who comes forward, who God using to make things right, but only really brings the ball so far down the field. And then we get into the promised land where the Israelites are now into what God promised Abraham. They're in this land that's theirs. But we see this character David, who seems to be a guy after God's own heart. King David. And he seems to just continue to rise, 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 rise. And then all of a sudden, he sleeps with somebody who's not his wife, kills the husband crazy and it's falling action and you're thinking as a reader okay so it's not him it's not him but then there's a prophecy about his son solomon okay well there's be a person from the line of david who's going to make things right and then we see solomon and he wants god's wisdom he wants to define good on god's terms not his own and we're like okay now now we're starting to get to genesis chapter 3 and 2 again but then he somehow marries a thousand women i don't know how that happens and I don't know the logistics of that. And it's falling action once again. You know, he's like, okay, he's not the person. And we see this. We're trying to look for this person, this king of Israel who's going to make things right. And we end up in the New Testament with Jesus. And we start to see Jesus doing a lot of things that pique the interest of the Israelites. We see Jesus, his whole life, is in obedience to the Father. Everything he did was in obedience to God. And he never sinned. And he wants to constantly listen to the Father and, and define good based on what God wants good to be defined as. And his obedience actually led to this one culminating moment on the cross where he is so obedient to God and what God wants for him, He's willing to die. And in that moment, that catalytic moment, that singular act of obedience, God opened up this whole new reality for you and I to enter into this new kind of life, this new family. What's fascinating is Adam had a moment of decision like that too, where he ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Jesus had a moment of decision on a tree as well, on the tree of the cross. And it is those two moments that are being paralleled in this passage. But Paul doesn't treat them as equals. So, Romans chapter 5, verse 14, it's on the screen. What we see is that Adam is considered to be a type of Christ, a type of the one to come, a shadow. A foretaste, a pointing towards, like that reflection of the mountain in the water. He's not the mountain, but he's pointing to the real mountain. Christ is much greater. He is actually so great, in fact, that yes, Adam's one act of disobedience resulted in sin and death in the entire world. That's a pretty powerful thing. And we see throughout history innumerable moments, innumerable moments of sin and death in the world. Too many to count. But Jesus is so great, according to Paul, that what he does, is he not only reversed what Adam did, he completely reverses what all of human history was moving towards. It was on basically a real, I won't say H-E-Double Hockey Sticks. There we go, I'm Canadian. On the way to that place, all right? I should probably say it, whatever. I don't know who's in the room. All right. On the way to death and destruction. And he reversed that. And he's opened the invitation for you and for me to be a part of that new thing. To no longer identify as in the family of Adam, but now to identify in the family of Jesus. So what does that have to do with us today? What's the application here? What's going on? We see this dual working out of the family of Adam, if you've watched the Adam family, not that, the family of Adam and the family of Jesus. We see this working out in human history right now for the last 2,000 years or so. And when I preached this sermon last at East City Wesleyan Church, uh, within, I think, 72 hours, Russia invaded Ukraine. And I was like, there is no better current illustration right now of what it looks like to still be a part of the family of Adam than for an invasion of that scale. Where in Putin's mind, he's defined the good, he's redefined the good as invading Ukraine. That actually he wants Russia to be like it used to be. He wants this, this more expansive land and he's willing to do anything to get that and because he thinks that's good but he's following in the pattern of adam the pattern of jesus the family of jesus knows that no 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 that's not how you win in life that's not what life is all about it's actually about loving your neighbor not invading them crazy But we can make it more personal, too. Obviously, that's a geopolitical example. You know, it's detached from you and me. But I think you and I, myself included, we fall into the trap of defining good on our own terms, apart from God all the time. We start to kind of pattern ourselves in the family of Adam. It's like, even though we've maybe become a Christian and and trusted in Jesus, there's like this this old chain and ball kind of dragging behind us. And sometimes it feels really light. But then other times it feels really heavy and just wants to drag us back into our old pattern of thinking and our old way of doing life. I can think of examples like relationship examples. Well, this person did me wrong. I'm just going to do them wrong now. You know what, at school they didn't say very nice things. They said some horrible things about me. And I think I need to make things right by saying horrible things about them. You know, that's in the family of Adam. You're defining the good based on your own understanding of the good, but not in Jesus' or God's understanding of the good. Well, maybe I won't get back at them, but maybe I just, I'll hold a grudge. I'll hold it forever. Actually, I'm going to hold the grudge so long, I make them suffer. That's the family of Adam. Well, you know what? Maybe I won't, like, explicitly hold the grudge, but I'll just, like, keep it deep down, and, you know, maybe once in a while it'll, it'll pop up again, because I can't really forgive them for that. Another one might be, and this one is one I I fall into all the time. It's, well, did Jesus really call me to do that? That makes me feel very uncomfortable. Isn't isn't it good for me to be comfortable? This whole, like, Holy Spirit leading me thing, he's, like, telling me exactly what I want to hear. This whole, like, following Jesus thing is, like, all about my comfort and my wants and my desires. Isn't that what, you know, following Jesus is all about? I want to be comfortable. Uh, None of this, like, New Testament, Old Testament stuff about, like, Doing things God's way, I'm I'm like ninety percent there. Let's just forget about the ten percent and just stay happy and content with the life I'm living right now and not be changed. That's the family of Adam. And this passage gives us a choice: which family will we choose? But just before the passage we read five twelve to twenty one, at the beginning of chapter five we learn about how to actually enter into this new kind of life. We learn that entering into this new kind of life is through justification by faith. So the passage goes like this, Romans 5, 1 through 2. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand... And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. When I think about what actually counters my will being done and God's will being done in replacement of my will being done, it's the peace of God. If you've come into a relationship with Jesus and who Jesus is and you've experienced that, if you know what it's like to have the peace of God, You can forget it, but if you know what it's like, you no longer want to strive for things that aren't yours, because you've got everything you need. Yes, Adam with the ball and the chain is is still hanging out there, and we were reminded a few times, but it is through knowing the peace of God that you and I can enter into this, not my will be done, but thy will be done. Jesus family kind of life. I've been a Christian for what was I eleven? I'm twenty nine now? Math me. Anyway, a while. Someone could do it for me. I got a master's in theology, not math. To this date, I can't think of a better experience or feeling to know the peace of God. It was powerful, tangible and set me on a trajectory of being a disciple of Jesus and following in the family of Jesus as opposed to the family of Adam. And I'm just speaking for myself, but I'm sure there's people here today where that that existential dread and this desire to do what we want to do, it's still there, but there's that peace of God to know that I've got the only thing that really matters in life. I am at peace with God through Jesus. So I'm not sure where we're at today, you know, individually, um, but all it takes to get into this new family, it's, it's, it's tough, but it's simple. It is giving over of your whole self to him and then being adopted in through faith into his family. It's rejecting the old way of life of the family of Adam and receiving the new way of life the way of Jesus. And the way to enter into that is through faith in him. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your goodness and for your love and for your one act of obedience that changed the game forever, Lord. That you have allowed us to come into a relationship with you and to have peace with the Father. That we can know that you are good. Lord, today we're all in different situations and circumstances, but I'm just trusting through your through your spirit that you're speaking to us now, that you're using this word today to speak to the hearts of us today, that you would just allow us to be less about us and more about you, to fully adopt what it looks like to be in Jesus' family, in your family. In
0: Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thanks for listening. We hope this teaching has served you well and that you've sent something of God's voice speaking to you. If there's any way that we can help or pray for you, support you in any way, we'd love to be able to do that. You can find out our contact info on our website at thewellnz.org or flick us an email at support at thewellnz.org. God bless you. We look forward to hearing from you soon.